1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 through 16. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the, rules, none of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of God. Thanks so much, Vera, for, for, uh, for reading that passage. What an amazing passage. Uh, there's a lot happening in this passage, but I hope we can kind of discern some, some of the main points here, and let me just get right to it. Here's the, here's the main things that seem to be happening in this passage as Paul is talking to this young church that's kind of wandering. He says, first off, man's wisdom is not God's wisdom. That's, that's one of his main points. Another one is man's ways are not God's ways. And he's talking a lot about the spirit here and, and discerning and what God's been doing. And he's making it clear that our wisdom as mankind, it's just not God's. And our ways are not even God's ways. So how in the world can we understand God's wisdom and God's ways? He says God's wisdom and God's ways can only be known through God's spirit. We got spirit? Yes, we do. We got spirit? How about you? And if the answer is, we've got none, you're not going to understand what's being talked about. Maybe intellectually you can. There's a certain, certain wisdom we all have because we're made in God's image. And we can grasp realities, but not the wisdom of God that's being unfolded to this church and to anybody who would call themselves a follower of Christ today. That wisdom can only come by God's spirit. Friday uh, afternoon, Jay and I were invited to, to lunch. Uh, Jay Huck, an elder here, and we got to hear for two hours the story of somebody who's just recently arrived here in Cincinnati. He's attached to a ministry that we support, and he was an ardent follower of Islam uh, for, for many, many years. In fact, he was set on uh, jihad, and Mujahideen, he was 
completely committed to fighting against anything that wasn't lifting up Allah and the Muslim way of life. Uh, along the way, he got a little distracted by success in business. He became very, very wealthy and was doing everything that you, you would want to dismiss if you're somebody of a, a religious sort, but eventually it caught up to him and he was rather hopeless. And through the course of time, as he was invited to hear from some other people at a Bible study, and he was warmly welcomed, it began a journey for him of, of trying to wrestle with, with whether or not there was something better that he should be pursuing. It's not an easy story. It's a very difficult one. And he was brought to the brink again of potential suicide when he considered what it would mean maybe to turn away from everything that he had followed and to begin following something different. But God's spirit worked at him in him in such a way that his eyes were open to the truth of God's word and to the person of Christ. A stumbling block, by the way, that we talked about last week for many who are of Muslim faith. Could the Son of God be crucified? And the answer for them is no. It's impossible. But for him, that spiritually discerned reality, after lots of difficult times in his own soul, his eyes were opened. And he, had, he became then somebody, and it reminds me a lot of the Apostle Paul, who's writing to this church in Corinth, somebody who was all in, Somebody who was so vocal about his faith that he's had assassination attempts against him. But it doesn't matter. Because all that he can do is think about and speak about Christ to those whom he loves. He, he made a comment that was very striking to me over the course of talking about his now ministry where he's gathered hundreds at times of people who are uh, Muslims uh, to, to share with them the, the gospel of grace and Christ. And some respond, but obviously some don't. And he's got a bit of a target on him. He said, I used to love Islam, but hate Muslims. Because he really didn't like other people. <laughs> so now I love Muslims, but hate Islam. And this is his heart's cry, is to let his brothers and sisters know that Christ is the only hope. And that yes, he died on a cross, but he rose again from the dead. And he's met this Jesus. And he's, he's moved here to, to Cincinnati as we talk about what it means for us to come alongside him. And he'll come here someday and, and probably just worship with us. And I think one day share his story the short version, as he tells us, is 30 minutes long. So we'll have to carve out the message time for him to do that. But we need to hear it. His heart is to, is, is to build a church. And some of you know there's an online church that's meeting of uh, former Muslims. You heard about that? He's the pastor of that, but he wants to do that here as well, have a physical place, not with people who call themselves Christians, but with Muslims who don't, to gather them together and proclaim Christ. That's a tremendous amount of sacrifice involved with that too, but he doesn't care because he's so consumed with the reality of Christ and who he is and the beauty of God's wisdom, he'll share it no matter what. It kind of reminds me of Paul like I said, who says in Acts 20, 24, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. 
My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That's the task he has. This is the race before him. I am going to talk about God's grace no matter what. And after he says that, he's on to Jerusalem where he's going to be persecuted, imprisoned. And he says, even that's an opportunity for me to testify about God's grace. That's all that matters to me. And I left that, that lunch after two hours. It seemed like 10 minutes thinking, this is like a modern-day Paul. What a gift that he's here. And I'm sure there'll be lots of fruit probably wrought from him. And some of us might come from a lunch like that and say, man, I'm not him. I wish I could be. It's okay. You're not him. He's not you. You're not him. One of the things I love about this book is some of us in the, in the body of Christ kind of feel like armpits. You know, I mean, what do I got? I got I'm, I'm, I'm obscure and smelly. And even Paul says, you know what? There's a function for you in the body of Christ. And thank goodness we've got you here. Those glands are working all right. That's what, if we didn't sweat, then we'd have problems. We'd shut down. And the people who are the loud mouths could never talk. So let's give thanks when somebody like that comes in and say, this is my brother. Thank you for your passion your, your capacity to go in places and speak in a way I never possibly could. Because when he says, I've been where you are, I can't say that. But he can. What about you? You each have unique opportunities to go and say that in the context of your family or your workplace. But are people really going to understand? And the answer is no. Unless... God's spirit is at work. It just isn't going to happen. I mean, Paul here at the beginning of the Corinth says, the Holy Spirit is so significant in the role of your lives. The only way that she can conclude by saying you have the mind of Christ is because God's spirit is indwelling you. And because he's indwelling you, you do have the mind of Christ. And what he says at the end as he builds his argument is, you know what, I'm looking at you as a collection of believers. You have God's spirit. You have the mind of Christ. But you could have fooled me because you don't look like it. You're incredibly immature. And this is the encouragement and the challenge that he's giving them in the book of Corinth. You have God's spirit. <laughs> it's unbelievable power that can be unleashed, it is in you as you live your daily lives. So you need to grow out of immaturity into maturity. And this is what he's, he's building the case for because he's going to begin soon to talk about the problems in the church. And he says the problems in the church cannot be addressed until we understand that Christ's sacrifice is the great leveling ground. Forget about your factions. And his spirit is in you, the spirit of power, the spirit of hope, the spirit of promise. And without, with God's spirit, everything is possible. So let's start working that out in the context of our relationships here and whenever, wherever you happen to go. That's his encouragement. We have the mind of Christ. And he begins in verses 6 through 8 of this passage in particular saying, as we've already said, man's wisdom is not God's wisdom. I mean, you, you get that pretty clearly. We speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age 
or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that's been hidden, that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. So there's a wisdom that we understand that's a human wisdom only. I remember hearing an illustration a handful of years ago. Uh, I'm sure it was just made up, but it was trying to prove a point of somebody who had gossiped, right? Somebody who had said something negative about another person. Maybe you, you know, tweet it or send it out on direct message and TikTok it, whatever the verbs are these days for it. Uh, Snap it. And, and, And it's out there, right? And this person in particular saw the damage that had been done, felt, felt bad about it, came to somebody and said, what do I do? They, oh, there's a wise guy up on top of a tower that you can go and talk to. He'll know what to do. So this person walks to the top of the tower, encounters the wise person, and says, hey, look, I said something about somebody. It's done great damage. How do I take it back? And the wise person says, oh, well, I'll tell you what to do. Here's a piece of paper. I want you to take that piece of paper, rip it up, into a hundred pieces and throw it into the wind. And so he does. And he says, okay, now what? He says, now go gather every single piece, reassemble it, and come back. He says, well, I can't do that. He says, so you can't undo the damage that's been done to you. Now, I remember that illustration because it's, it's memorable. Actually, it's quite wise. I think oh, there's a lot of wisdom associated with that. The tongue, as we know, there's some biblical wisdom there, right? It can do a lot of damage, the things you say, things that are recorded. I remember hearing um, Ben Carson, who was a neurologist, as, as you probably know, saying, there, when your mind records something, it never forgets it. He's a neurologist, one of the world, world's best, right? He says, your mind is amazing. It never forgets what it sees or hears. It may be hidden, but it's shaping you. Kind of frightening when you think about the images you've been exposed to, whether that's visual or even the the messages being communicated to you. You remember it all somewhere along the way. So the wisdom dictates that you, as a person who are speaking to others, have tremendous power over them, either to destroy or to build. And I can tell you right now, as we all know, it's a lot easier to destroy than it is to build up. That's another kind of wisdom, isn't it? I could spend probably all yesterday constructing some sort of really pathetic birdhouse because I'm not good with my hands. But I would present it to you today and then give my daughter a sledgehammer and say, now destroy what I've just created. And with one swing, it's gone. All my wonderful work, as pathetic as it might be. And as wise as those things may be, that's man's wisdom. And there's a lot of it. There's a lot of it online. I don't know, does Etsy, is that, do they have the cute sayings? There's things that people buy and they can put on their walls. We could collect it and scatter it up here and say all kinds of wise things. But no one could come up with the wisdom of God. That's, that's the wisdom that God's given us. I, I would call it derivative or reflective wisdom. We're made in God's image. We have thoughts that we put together and we come to right conclusions and say, this is what wisdom looks like. But Paul says, none of that wisdom could construct the wisdom of God from the beginning of time in all of history before it ever began saying, here's how I'm going to rescue man. I'm going to send my son, wrap myself in flesh, die on a cross, because that's the only way that sin can be dealt with. I will sacrifice my own son. 
And then I'll send my spirit. And he'll, he'll be in the people of God. And, and they will reflect the true image of God, or at least the growing image of God into maturity. There's no Etsy wisdom like that out there. They didn't conceive of that. God's wisdom is not our wisdom. Now, Paul said, we preach Christ in chapter 1, verses 23 to 24. We preach him crucified, the wisdom and the power of God, Christ. Man's wisdom is not God's wisdom. If Christ seems foolish to you, then you're thinking with human wisdom. And if he seems delightful to you, if he is your everything, that's godly wisdom. And that godly wisdom didn't come from you. It came from God. So you can see Paul again start to say, there is a leveling ground here. If you've made any progress in your spiritual life at all, if, if this all makes sense to you, you can't boast in yourself. He said that last week too. If we're going to boast, and he said, I'm going to boast in Christ. That's it. I've got, no, I've got nothing to stand on otherwise. And you see how that becomes leveling ground when you start getting into bickering in the church in comparison and saying, Really, I'm better than you are. Even if you've got more knowledge than I do. Congratulations. <laughs> Paul's going to say somewhere down the road, knowledge just pops up. You know? Yeah, you're smart. But do you love others? It's the fruit of the Spirit, what's the first one mentioned? Is love. Well, there's a the real test then if you're spirit-filled. And I know what love looks like is, is a long discussion, but if you have any notion at all that this is right and true, it's coming only from God's Spirit who's telling us about God's wisdom. In verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood it. Because you know what? If they had, they wouldn't be crucifying the Lord of glory. That's man's wisdom, but we have God's wisdom. And God's wisdom, as we might suspect, is, is spilling over into the ways that he communicates and works. And, and his ways, not just his wisdom, but his ways are not our ways either. I mean, this has been said before by Isaiah. Your, your ways are not our ways. God does not work in the way that we might expect. And you know, that's probably a good thing because if we could construct a job description for God, can you imagine what that might be like? It'd probably be self-serving on the one hand. And the fact of the matter is we are not God. There's limitations that we have. These people have tried to figure it out. But he, before time began, outside space and time, conceived my wisdom and my ways will be unveiled in the person of Christ. And so he says, as it's written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. As great as the minds are that God's given us and the most amazing narratives that have been written in movies and in books, nothing like this. In fact, I would suggest, I already used the word derivative, that a lot of the stories that we hold the best are derivative. That is, they come from the best story ever written. When, when the weak things shame the wise. Well, that's something that God came up with. And man's ways are not God's ways. You remember Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He was a learned man of the day and Jesus shows up on the scene and he, he begins saying, you know, I'm... I am, I'm the Messiah from before all time began, I am. And you know, John 
John says Nicodemus was considering that, and he, he comes to Jesus in, in the middle of the night when it's, when it's dark. And just a reminder from John chapter 3, this man who was a ruling member of the council, he comes, he says, Rabbi, teacher, you, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You cannot see what God's word is saying is true unless you're born again. You need sight. You're blind. And Nicodemus says, well, how can a man be born again when he's old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? And he's not having a spiritual perspective on this, but rather physical only. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. God's ways aren't our ways. You want to be born again to have the sight that Paul is talking about here, it can't be done in a physical way. You can't sign up for that surgery. You can't get on the waiting list for the vaccination. This is something only God's Spirit can do. And those of us who've been walking, maybe have had that initial sight, could probably begin talking about how we've continued to see that God's wisdom is not my wisdom. God's ways are not my ways. His timing is not my timing. But if I am walking with the Lord and trusting a passage like this, I can say, I may not have full understanding, but I know you do. And your spirit is at work even though I cannot see it. He is doing something. He is wise and he is he's doing something I can't, I can't even conceive of it. And that proof positive that God works that way is in the person of Christ. And so, as we've been saying over and over, really, God's wisdom and God's ways can only be known through God's spirit. That's basically what Paul says in the rest of this passage. We are utterly dependent on God's spirit. Not just partly. <laughs> totally. Utterly. Dependent beings. Contingent you did not will yourself to be born the first time. I mean, you weren't just floating around there and saying, hey, sign me up for my parents at this time. <laughs> here you are. You open up your eyes like, what's going on here? So, you're not going to will yourself to be born in this kind of way. God's spirit does that. This is not human wisdom. It's divine wisdom. And Paul in this verses here as you've, probably kind of seen, and, and I'll just briefly summarize it too, says there are some contrasts here. He said there's God's wisdom, and then there's those who reject God's wisdom. Two categories of people. There's the spirit of God, and there's the spirit of the world. There's a spiritual person, and there's a natural person. That's what he said in these things. You know, the spirit searches all things, the deep things of God. Who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit with him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And we've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, that we can understand what God has freely given us. 
The man without the Spirit, in verse 14, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit. A foolishness to him. And he can't understand them. So there is a great contrast here that Paul is painting. And as we said at the, at, at the beginning, what he's trying to tell these people is, you're on that column. You're on the left column. You have God's wisdom. You've got the spirit of the God. And you're a spiritual person. Not in some sort of hyper-spiritual way that the fleshly things don't matter. Of course they do. Christ came in the flesh. He was crucified in the flesh. He rose in the flesh. You're living in the flesh. But for those who don't have God's spirit, that's all they'll ever know. You, however, you've got more. We've got spirit. Yes, we do. We've got spirit. How about you? We've got more, right? We've got not just a soul, but God's Holy Spirit that those who stay in the category of natural person do not have. If you are somebody who has said yes to Jesus, you've got the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And yeah, you feel like he gave you an armpit of a gift, perhaps, but it matters and it does make a difference in your life. And Paul says to the Corinthian church, so start living that out. Grow up from being immature to being mature. That's the whole process he is driving them towards maturity. So concludes by saying, you have the mind of Christ. And I wouldn't know it by looking at you, he's going to say. But I'm going to remind you, you do have it. And this is what the Apostle Paul does quite a bit. He talks about things in, in the declarative. He declares what's true. You have the mind of Christ. And then he moves over to the imperative. So now start acting like it. Do it. Grow up in it. Apply it. And he says to them, although you might be in this mature category because you have God's Holy Spirit, you kind of look immature. But this is what's really true. You do have the mind of Christ. Now, what a wonderful opportunity for you to begin exploring what that looks like. This thing that you have, this gift of God, this gift of grace, is something that nobody could have conceived of and nobody came up with, but only God who made everything from all time. He's with you now. He's, he's in you. You've been given that gift that nobody could come up with except the God of all creation. He, nobody could conceive of it, and he's in you. Oh, you're feeling kind of self-important now, aren't you? And then he reminds you, it's only because of what Christ has done. You have no reason to boast, but you certainly have reason to hope. You have reason to move on, to go forward, to love, to live in the ways that God's Spirit has designed you to do. And that's what Paul's going to push him towards. He says, you know, we have the mind of Christ. Just a, a, a couple of thoughts about that because he's driving them to that. God's spirit is in you and you have the mind of Christ. So what? So let me just give you a couple of things as you think about from this moment on, moving forward, the rest of the day, the week, going forward. One thing, opportunity you have then is to take every thought captive for Christ. If you have the mind of Christ, when thoughts come in, since this is a spiritually discerned reality, you can filter those thoughts with a Christological cruciform perspective. See, we've been talking about that a lot, right? Christological. Paul is 
focused on Christ, cruciform, what happened on the cross, and now I live that out. So when you have a thought, every thought that you have, see, you and I are both on a maturity scale. None of us is fully mature this morning. It's just a matter of how far along we are. And as soon as you start thinking I'm better than you are, well, then we look at the cross. No, we're right back at the beginning again. So this is a, a chance to get together and say, ooh, let's go on this journey with one another. And, and, and I have some, some wisdom I can pass on just through experience too, but it's done with humility. I wouldn't have it if it weren't for God. But for me, if I have a thought that comes in my head, here's an opportunity for us if I have the mind of Christ to take it captive. We've talked about this before. It's like you, just for a moment, if you have it, and if you're thoughtful about these thoughts, which I think you should think about thinking about the thoughts and be thoughtful about it because that's part of what you have to do. Take a thought, get to the bottom of it, diagnose it, and it may come at the very bottom like nobody could love me because, fill in the blank, I'm unlovable. Maybe the thought is something like, I'm completely alone. Or maybe it's, I have to be perfect for anybody to care for me. I don't know what it is. It, it, those are deep ones. Maybe they're, let, put it in a, put it there, captive. Hold it captive for a little bit. Sit there and look at it. Take it apart. Say, is that really true? You know, nobody's ever going to love me. Uh, hold that thought captive. Okay. How do I evaluate? If I have the mind of Christ, I can look at that and say, well, what does Christ say about that? You are unlovable. What about that thought? Well, the first thing he says is, did you forget about the entire reason why you have the mind of Christ? I died for you. I sacrificed everything for you. And in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus comes and, and he says, what about this whole being born again type thing? You know, that's where Jesus says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. One of the passages that was mentioned in this lunch that first captivated this new believer in Christ was to all who believed him he gave the right to be sons of God you are beloved son or daughter of God who conceived in all of time to call you to himself a high calling we saw in chapter one so when you take that thought captive you can say that's a lie it's not true I might not feel like it but it's not true I mean you're just starting on the highest level God loved you he does love you. He rejoices over you with singing. You're not a miserable failure. You do matter to God. And you start saying, well, I may don't feel like I matter to other people. And, and that's, you've got to, but you do matter to God. And you know what? That thing's kind of foolishness because if you're in the family of God, you matter to me too. I do a terrible job of showing it sometimes. You're my brother and you're my sister. And you matter so much. I'm going to enter into a relationship with you, stumble along the way, and we're going to point each other to the cross. You in? And when you do that kind of thing, you take every thought. There's a million thoughts that come. Hold them. Take them captive. Look at every single angle. Reject the ones that aren't true. Hold on to the ones that are. You have the mind of Christ. Now, I find that exciting and exhilarating. The opportunity I have. And life comes at you hard and fast. Like, ah, I haven't got any time to think. I get it. But you might, you might want to start thinking about having time to think. And captive those. Cap, because you know what? Your brain space is, space is going to be freed up when you start believing what's true and get through all the lies. And sometimes we don't see it. God's spirit can shine it on us. And that's why we enter into a relationship with others because they come along and say, that's a lie. Don't believe it. 
I've, I believe that lie for most of my life and still do too. It's a bunch of trash. Take it out with the garbage. Drag it over to trash. Okay, open up the trash and then delete completely. And let's go on from that. And, and related to it, perhaps, let me just encourage you this week as well to take every event as an opportunity to mature, to apply the mind of Christ. I'll give you a personal example from this past week. And we've been trying to get a dermatologist appointment a while. I, I had one lined up. You know, I don't know if every dermatologist, if you have a good dermatologist, let me know. <laughs> it was easy to get into because we've, you know, my son and I have both been trying to get and finally got an appointment but my son's was canceled, so I gave him mine. And it was Thursday, and, and we, we, we go to show up. It was Thursday at 4.40, I thought. Apparently it was 4.30. But there was some communication going on where I didn't get the, the message. But showed up at 4.40, trying to get, you know, everybody in the car going. You know, I like to be on time, but we show up a, a little bit late. We finally get there. It's... 4.42, very aware of time, and uh, get to the door. It seems like it's, it's, I know it's locked. Nobody else seems to be around. Like, what? Look at the address. I'm at the right address. The thing says this way. I go look down a little bit farther. Is it down there? No. So I come back. I'm like, and then somebody comes out at 4.46 and says, you're more than 15 minutes late. We've canceled your appointment and we're closed for the night. And mind of Christ, right? So I... <laughs> I, I like, <laughs> I, this really frustrates me. Now, I, I tell you this because there's an opportunity for maturing in this. And, and it's interesting. I've seen this in myself before. I was stressed. I've tried hard to make this happen. I don't feel like I was at all responsible for this. And I'm a little frustrated because I was there grabbing this within the 15 minutes and they'd already closed it. So I feel like I want to let this person have a little piece of my mind. And it's not, you know, it's nothing, nothing that would cause Officer Secrets to come and, and <laughs> take me away or anything like that. But I'm roiling inside and I get a little snarky. I've been told many times when I'm in a situation like that and it's true. I am. And there's a legitimate frustration, right? There's, that's legitimate. Like, well, hold on now. This doesn't seem fair at all and just. And frankly, you know, I might be looking for a different dermatologist. Dermatologist. I mean, that's probably okay to say. But I had an attitude about me and, and said things in a way that was probably less than somebody observing saying, that person is filled with God's spirit. I know if it were me... You know, I'd be responding one way, but clearly this person knows the spirit of peace. And I say that only because there was a similar incident a few weeks before where I responded very differently. And I was, Mike. I wasn't self-congratulatory. I was just like, thanks, God. I had a very different perspective on this event and said, you know, I don't get it, but obviously you're at work and doing something, either in me or around me, that, okay, that's fine, but no. I mean, I was like, I, yeah, I told her, I said, I was here before you guys closed. I don't know what you're in there doing. But this is completely unfair and unjust. And frankly, the reason that I'm here now is because you guys canceled an earlier appointment, and that's your fault. So now you're telling me that I can't come in on time because you're closed, and yet the very reason I'm here now is because of what you did earlier? 
And she just closed the door. Walk, walk. She didn't care. What I was going to do I'm still. And then I'm realizing my son is right there. He's listening and watching everything that I say and do. And I was greatly convicted of this later. Like, how could I have responded differently? There are things that probably need to be said and done that were right. But the spirit of me was a spirit of entitlement and anger and frustration. And I need to repent of that and say, I have the mind of Christ. How could I, next time I do it, mature a little bit and grow from that? You see, if I don't have an opportunity to grow on that curve, eventually, long enough, somebody looks at me and says, you're no different than anybody else. And guess what? That's what Paul says. You've got God's spirit. You are different. You have the power and the wisdom of God residing inside of you. And there's a wonderful opportunity to be honest about that and to receive grace and forgiveness. You haven't grown beyond the need of the cross, and neither have I. No matter how many degrees I might have or positions or titles, I have an opportunity when I'm going to a dermatologist appointment to have the mind of Christ. See, that's how practical this faith is. And I'm, to my shame, to my shame, I, I did not demonstrate that. And it was, it was right away that I started thinking about my son is watching. I'm training him. I'm, he's seeing what's happening. I want the mind of Christ. I have the mind of Christ. And so there's opportunities taking every thought captive, every opportunity to mature in humility, in radical dependence. And one of the things I love about this Holy Spirit that Paul talks about is a spirit of promise as well. He's a, a, he is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. There, there are times in my life I'll continue to fail and I'll regret it and I'll repent and I'll say I'm sorry and I'll grow hopefully, but I will continue doing that until the day I breathe my last but the spirit is a deposit guaranteeing there will be a time when it's all tied up and I no longer have to wrestle with doctor's appointments, period, or being late or being worried about how my responses are shaping the people around me because he guarantees that the good work he began in you, he's going to carry it to completion. And the proof positive was Jesus rising from the dead and sending his spirit of wisdom, of power, in you. Now, for me, that that's, gives me hope. I'm grateful the Bible gives us this holistic picture of who we are. We're not just all flesh or all spirit. But there is an aspect, according to Paul, of the human experience that you will never know unless you have God's Holy Spirit residing in you. And it's not like you have to do a whole bunch to get God's Holy Spirit. You don't have to go through some rigorous training program it's a simple yes. God opened my eyes. Help me to see this is true. Come in and do whatever you want. Bam. Come on in. And let's, let's do this beautiful, messy thing together. The bride of Christ. A, a plan conceived of before all time and being worked out in time and space in 2022 in Mason, Ohio, or in CE's hometown over in China. Wherever you happen to be, God is at work and his spirit is winning and wooing and working in us today. So don't harden your hearts. And that call is not only to people who would say, I don't get it, I don't see it, then just say a simple yes 
and God will open up your eyes. That seems subjective, I know. There's rational proofs for it. Paul had them all until he was knocked off his horse, and he was blinded because he, he realized for the first time when he couldn't physically see, he saw everything. Maybe that's you, but also that call was to God's people. Don't harden your hearts. Maybe you're not able to see God's wisdom in his ways today because your heart is growing brittle and hard. Don't let that go on any longer. Pray that God's heart would soften, God, God would soften it. Pray, Lord Jesus, now your Holy Spirit, send your Holy Spirit to do his work in our hearts. Melt the ice. And we want to be tender, sensitive, aware of the things of God. And th there's not, th the secret message mentioned here is, is Christ himself being sent now on display. It is no longer hidden but revealed to us. And we're not looking for some secret, super spiritual experience this morning. We're looking for your Holy Spirit who gives us the mind of Christ. And may that not, mind of Christ not just be something that sounds like a nice concept, but actually affects the way that we speak and think about ourselves and others, about the way we live our lives of sacrifice and self-emptying on behalf of the God who loved us and emptied himself for us on the cross. Thanks for that wisdom. Thank you for your ways. Give us insight. Give us hope today. The spirit of hope, the spirit of promise, we need him. And pray that he would be here in our midst at work in any way that glorifies you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.